Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. At Kroger, fresh groceries are our thing. So we check your delivery order for freshness at every step from farm to store and pick and pack every veggie in your free pickup order with care because we treat your food the way we'd want ours to be treated. We're fresh every day, so shop anyway. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Now's the time to stock up and save during the Kroger Big Pack Sale. You'll get big deals on big packs of hundreds of items throughout the store. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Well, um, this morning, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. I want to speak on the subject of working with God. Working with God. And let me just be clear that some people teach, you know, well... Good works are not part of the gospel. But the, the answer to that, how do we refute that? Well, we're not saved by works. Well, we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. All right. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good works. So a life that is not, uh, a Christian life that is not evidenced in bearing fruit and good works is a life of barrenness. In fact, every good tree bears what? Good fruit. So if the tree is not bearing good fruit, what? Something's wrong with the tree. So that's a fact. Martin Luther said it's not the fruit that, that it's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but it's the tree that makes the fruit good. So we, we have to recognize that. So I want you to just look at this verse with me. In First Corinthians three, I'm going to uh, look at two different translations. The first one is the New King James, and the second one is the Passion Translation. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. The Passion Translation says, we are co-workers with God, and you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. Paul is speaking about those who are apostles, and he says, we are co-workers with God. He didn't say we are workers for God. He said, we are co-workers with God. And then he uses the two metaphors, one the agriculture metaphor that you're a garden and the other one uh, the architectural uh, metaphor about being a building. And he's saying our calling is to build, our calling is to plant, and our calling is to see things grow. In fact, if you read uh, the, the verses around that, he talks about how one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. And so we see very clearly there this definition that God, this definition or this profound truth that we are co-laborers with God. We are co-laborers with God. What does that mean? There are things absolutely we cannot do without God. But there are things that God will not do without us. So it's called a commission, isn't it? The great commission. 
Meaning that there are two individuals or two parties that are involved that are partnering in the mission. It's a collaboration that God will do his part, but we have to do our part. And if we don't do our part, God isn't going to honor his part. We're called to work with God. I want to turn at another uh, place in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10, the first two verses. Luke chapter 10, the first two verses. Remember that Jesus in the ninth chapter of Luke sent out 12 to preach the gospel. The 12 um, were the apostles. And he actually gave them a clear direction that they are to go to Israel. But here in the 10th chapter... He does not give them specific direction to minister only to Israel, but he speaks to them about going out. In fact, the context, and even the number 70, represents the population of the world. So they're called to go beyond Israel. They're called to go beyond those who who live in the place that Jesus ministered in that time. And understand this, that, you know, there are people that would try to tell us, if you read the account in Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission, you know, go into the world and make disciples of all the nations, that that was only for the apostles. That was only for the twelve. That's not relevant or applicable to us today. Well, the problem with that is it's not scriptural. The truth is Jesus raised up 70, or some translations say 72, that he had sent out before his face into each town and village that he would visit. And he gave them a clear commission. And here's something I I want us to look at this morning. And we really see in this passage that God has called us into this collaboration, into this partnership of being co-workers with him. It's a strategic divine partnership. Look at this. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. After what things? After he sent out the 12. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, When we look at this passage and we just break it down a little bit and go into the Greek, we see something here that is not apparent in the English. He, Jesus appoints 72 and he sends them. He apostles them is what the word means. And they have a commission. They're being divinely sent out by him as an ambassador, so to speak. But then what he says is, that before he sends them out, then he says, but here, the problem is, guys, even though I've sent you out, the harvest is truly plentiful. It's great. So we need more workers. The 12 were not enough. The 70 or the 72 are not enough. We still need more workers. So what's the solution? The solution is to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And the word that is translated send out is not the Greek word apostello, but it's the Greek word ekbalo. And the word ekbalo means to cast out, drive out, to send out. It means to compel one to depart, 
to bid one to depart. It's the word that Jesus used in Luke 11, 14, and 15 when it says that he cast out demons. It's the same word that is used in Acts 16, 37 when Paul is thrown into prison. It's the word that is trans, it is the same word that is used when Stephen was cast out of the city and stoned. And it's such a powerful word. It actually speaks of something forceful. Something in which we need a push, so to speak, in the right direction. Now, here's what I believe God is saying to us. There are some people that put up their hand. They say, God, I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I have no reservations. But there are others who, for whatever reason, are saying, mm not me. They're comfortable. They're complacent. They, for whatever reason, have come up with top ten, you know, the top ten excuses why I can't go and, and do missions. And what happens is God and, and actually summons his disciples to pray that every excuse and every hindrance would be removed. Now, I recognize there are people that genuinely say, well, hey, how am I going to do this? I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the cooperation and the support maybe of my spouse. And I understand all that. But the point is, it's not about that. Don't look at the outward. Look at the inward. Look at the fact, is is this a matter of our heart? Is this a matter of the heart where we're actually saying, God, I am not willing to go where you've called me to go. I'm not willing to do what you've called me to do because fear, maybe I don't like going to those places. If that's the homes they live in, uh, I'm not going there. Uh, you know, I, or it, it could be i just too busy. Whatever it may be, let me just say to us this morning that Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. He's praying for me that everything that would hinder us from being a going people would be removed from our lives. Jesus knows that sometimes we need a push. You know, hey, God, I'll go. And those people are great. But then there's those who are like, I can't, I won't. And God's saying, I want you to go. I will provide. I will make a way. I will take care of your needs. I want you to go. And so pray that every hindrance, every argument... Every objection would be removed so that people can go and do what the Lord has called them to do. The word ekbalo is not referring to a gentle send out. The word actually speaks of being persuaded, even forcefully, to do something that may be contrary to your will. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would push out. He would shove. He would do whatever it takes to get people going and moving in the right direction is what the apostles were saying. And this morning, guys, if you can't say amen, say ouch. The truth is, this is what the Bible is teaching. The heart of God is for people to reach people that don't know Him. People that have not heard the gospel. People that are lost. People that are bound. 
people that are blinded and deceived. And so we need to begin to pray that God would send out others into the harvest field. And while you're praying that for someone else, recognize that you might get tapped on the shoulder. You might be asked to go and to do that. Guys, the harvest is great. Did you know that? That's what Jesus said, didn't he? We look at our cities, we look at our places, and I understand there are uh, nations in the world, cities in the world, where people are more open to the gospel. Absolutely. There are ethnic groups that are more open to the gospel than compared to other ethnic groups. I get that. I understand that. This is a reality. But the truth is Jesus said the harvest is great. There's not a shortage of harvest. There's not a lack of people that need to hear the gospel. There's so many people in the world. Do you know that every four seconds a baby is born? More than twice as many people are born each day than die. Our current global population is 7.6 million. In the year 2050, we'll almost be at 10 billion people on our planet. 20% of our population lives in China, the other 20% India, 5% in the USA, 3.5% is in Indonesia, and the rest are scattered throughout the other nations of the world. It's harvest time, guys. It's harvest time. Uh, you know, colonialism, many missiologists, many social scientists said that when colonialism was phasing out and all the nations were becoming independent in the last century, that Christianity would also basically become null and void. There would be no interest. The, the countries of the world, as they moved away from colonialism, they would not embrace Christianity because it's a Western religion and that Christianity was doomed. That's what they were predicting. But let me share with you some, some statistics. Do you know in 1800... Only 1% of the Christians in the world lived outside of North America and Western Europe. In 1900, it went up to 10%. But by the year 2000, more than two-thirds of the Christians lived outside of North America and Western Europe. What a shift. Let's continue to look at some other statistics. On average, 178,000 people convert to Christianity daily in our world. In China alone, there are about 28,000 people profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In Latin America, 35,000 conversions are happening a day. There were 50,000 believers reported in Latin America in 1900. By 1980, there were 20 million. Now there's over 480 million. Wow. The places in the world where Christianity is growing and exploding are in the southeast. It's in the southern hemisphere, primarily South America and Africa and some parts of Asia. This is where Christianity is, gro is growing in an unprecedented way. China became closed to missionaries in 1950. There were reportedly one million Christians in China. Today... China has more Christians than any other nation in the world with over 100 million Christians. God is moving powerfully throughout the world. In Indonesia, which is the fourth largest country in the world by population and the largest Muslim nation, at least one million people convert to Jesus every year, come to Jesus every year in Indonesia, most of them being Muslims. India has more than 85 million believers. 200 teams travel the nation with an Indian version of the Jesus film entitled The Man of Peace and report seeing 100,000 conversions monthly.
In 1900, Korea was deemed impossible to penetrate with the gospel. Today, South Korea is reported to be more than 40% Christian with more than 7,000 churches in Seoul alone. They said it couldn't be done in 1900. It's the most clo- one of the most closed nations in the world to the gospel. Look what's happened, guys. Look what's going on around the world. We are living in the time when the, when, when the prophet said in the last days, and the apostle Peter reiterated this, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. All flesh. There's a great harvest happening. More people in Iran have confessed Jesus as Lord in the past 10 years than the previous 1,000 years. Wow. The past 10 years, more people have come to Christ in Iran than the previous 1,000 years. Iran is also known as Persia. Wow. 20,000 conversions every day in Africa. 40% of Africa is said to be Christian now. Do you know that none of the 50 largest churches in the world are in North America? None of them. There are a few that are in Europe, a couple, I believe, but they're pastored by Africans. Yeah. When you look at Joel Osteen, and you see his massive church on TV, T.D. Jakes or someone else, and you look at that, and you go, wow, those are massive churches, guys. Those are small churches compared to what's happening in the majority world, primarily in the southern hemisphere, in Africa, in South America, you know, in Nigeria. Look what's happening. Look what's happening in some of these places. Meetings where millions of people show up. I was preaching in Nigeria, and I went to a place where they took me on top of a bridge, and they said, if you stand here, you can see a quarter of a million people. And we went on top of this bridge, and we looked, and all we could see was people, 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 over a quarter of a million people. In Lagos, Nigeria. They, there's a, a church denomination there that has an annual conference. They purchased this land. They call it the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost Campground. And they have a conference every year with over 2 million people physically showing up to worship Jesus. It's amazing what's going on. But you also know that more people have been martyred in the past 100 years as Christians than ever before in history? Do you know that we still have a great harvest that needs to be reached? There's still so many people that need to hear the gospel. In fact, it's over 40% of the world does not have access yet to the gospel. I want you to just turn your eyes to the screen. We're going to watch a, a brief video this morning. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of His return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. 
C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And, together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep. 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money, going to World A, the least-reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? Yeah, what are you going to do to change that? Wow. More workers are needed. There's a massive harvest. 
I'll tell you, we have just begun um, the preparation to launch a mission school on the island of Palawan. Our mission school is going to be led by Pastor Jaffet, who's 24 years old. The island of Palawan has, the southern part of the island of Palawan is mostly all unreached peoples. Tribal people and Muslims. It's very close to Brunei, if you look on the map, to, to uh, Malaysia and other places. There are very few missions activities happening there. We have made a decision that we've got to do something about it. We cannot allow these people to go to hell. They must hear the gospel. They must understand the love of God for their lives. The Bible is clear that we are called, every one of us, to do something. And we can pray. We can give. We know that. We can go. It's very important that we do something. And if you break down what we just saw, world C, the Christian world, do you realize that here in Perth there are unreached peoples? On Thursday night we had at our, at our school of ministry, we had a guest who was a former Muslim who was about to be arrested in his country and he was able to flee and he escaped. He came to Christ through a, a, just a powerful experience and he was able to escape and he shared his story and about how many people, even here, are from countries that don't know Jesus. Right? We have Aboriginal people also. We, we have not only the immigrants, those who've come from Buddhist countries, Muslim countries, Hindu countries. We have people who desperately need the gospel. We cannot sit in our churches and do nothing. We've got to do something. We've got to pray. We've got to go. We've got to give. We've got to support those and send out people. World C, I'm sorry, World B is those who have access to the Bible, but there's still many of them are not Christians. Eastern Europe, there are places in, in certain countries, um, even in Asia where that's true, in Africa as well. But there's places on the world where we still, there are unreached people. We don't ignore them. But then we've got World A, nothing. Look at what's happening, very little. Something has to take place. Something has to change. We see places in Indonesia where this is still true. We have, we have connections and opportunities to do this. Frankly, I'm praying for millions of dollars. I'm praying for millions and millions of dollars. I've had prophetic words about millions of dollars coming into our hands so that we can do the things God wants. It's not about people in the sense of... Ugh, we, 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 we just need to scale back in our living, guys. We need to scale back on a lot of stuff we think is so essential for doing church. It's not. It really doesn't matter, you know. I mean, the most important thing is reaching people with the gospel. That's the most important thing. And I, I want to challenge us this morning to do what we can do. Jesus said the harvest is great. The laborers are few. Let me just quickly share with you three ways that you can get involved in a greater measure in partnering with him as a co-laborer to reach more people with the gospel. Number one, pray passionately. We can all pray. and We can all pray intentionally that the Lord would send out more workers, that the Lord would raise up more workers. And, hey, God, if my hand's not going up, you're free to give me a push. 
Lord, whatever you want, deal with my heart, deal with my complacency, deal with the complacency in the church. We can pray that people's eyes would be open to the harvest. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is right. That we would not be sending missionaries to the same people. You know, I see it repeatedly, and it's especially bad in America, where we have these revivalists, and they're preaching to the same group of Christians every week. They're calling it an outpouring. They're calling it, uh, you know, uh, this or that. But it's nothing, guys. It's the same Christians every week for the most part. There's a little bit of exception to that. Jesus called us to go to the people that don't know him. Don't know him. We have aboriginal people in Australia that desperately need to hear him. We need to be intentional. We have Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, on and on and on. Atheists. People that just don't get it. They don't understand. They've never really heard the gospel. They're here. We need to begin to pray for the harvest. Participate personally. We can all share our faith. We can all share our faith. Well, man, I can't go to Indonesia. I can't go to, you know, southern Palawan or I can't go to India or whatever. That's fine if that's really what your reality and, and you're just saying, God, I'm willing to go and God's not opened that door and made a way for you to go. That's fine. That's between you and God. But we can all witness, share our faith, talk to others about Jesus right here, right where we are. Start here. Do something. We can all share our faith. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What? For what purpose? So you can have revival. So you can, you can speak about how refreshed and good you are. Yes, of course, that's part of it. But ultimately, it's to go and preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's what it's about. And the more we do that, the more power we're going to see released, manifested. There's so many places, guys, so close by here. We're, we're situated in such a strategic place in the world, the 1040 world, uh, the, the window, Southeast Asia is so close where there's billions of people that don't know Jesus. Africa's not that far away either. And there's places in Africa where they desperately... One of my friends has just got permission. He is an evangelist affiliated with um, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. His name is Bernie Moore. And Bernie just got permission to do a crusade on, uh, literally in Sudan. The government gave him permission on, in Sudan and, the, and that border area there. It's amazing. People in, in a refugee camp area. And he's going to be preaching to all these people who have never heard the gospel. It's amazing. Praise God. Pray for those people. The Bible says this. Look at this. Matthew 10, 7 and 8 in the Passion. This is for every one of us. As you go, preach this message. Heaven's kingdom realm is accessible, close enough to touch. You must continually bring healing to lepers and to those who are sick and make it your habit to break off the demonic presence from people and raise the dead back to life. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, so freely release it to others. That's the calling that we have. Amen? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We, we must also send. We must be sending. We must be intentional about sending, right? Acts 13, they sent Paul and Barnabas. Separate them, send them out. There must be a sense in which we're praying, God, raise up people, people we can send, people who will go. Very, very important. 
Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Lastly, we can partner provisionally. Colossians, actually, that was the scripture we should have used on the second one. Colossians 4.12, talking about praying passionately. Epaphras, who's one of you, is a bondservant of Christ, greets you, listen to this, always laboring fervently for you in his prayers. Laboring. You labor in your prayers. It's the Greek word from which we get our English word agonize. Epaphras was agonizing for them in prayer. Now, when we talk about partnering provisionally, what we're saying is we're looking at this in 3 John verse 7 and 8. Look at this. Dear friend, actually it's 5 through 8. 3 John Verse 5 through 8. Dear friend, you're being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through. Even though they're strangers to you, they've told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. The literal translation is that we will be co-workers or co-laborers with them. By giving, we become co-laborers. Giving is like you're going. When you, when you give, when we can all give something, can't we? And I believe we can all do something and thank God for those who give. And it's not my place to, to know what you give. It's not your place to know what I give, but it is up to us and God. We have to speak to the Lord about it. The statistic that was cited is that of all the trillions of dollars that Christians make, what was the figure? How many trillions? And yet only, is it 700 billion that is given toward missions? So that means, and I'm, not, I'm sorry, not missions, everything. The church, Youth programs, every Christian endeavor or initiative, it works out to mean that less than 2% is given. The average Christian gives less than 2% of their income to the Lord. That's what the less than 2%. I think we can change that. Less than 2%. I think we can change that. Do you have faith to give 10%? Or you say, I don't know. Okay. Guess what God says about that? He says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse or I'll curse you. No. No, he doesn't. We're in the new covenant. The Bible says, give from your heart, not grudgingly. So what? what? What do we do? We go from faith to faith. So he said, I don't have... You know, faith to give 2%. Well, start praying and then start doing. Then start asking for more, more. God, I acknowledge, look guys, in, in, in the new covenant, 10% is the low water mark. They gave a lot more than that. They gave, they gave, they sold their land and their properties and gave it. Guys, it's full on. The New Testament church 
was radical what they did. They were committed. They were devoted. And I believe there's a place for us all to examine ourselves. What are we doing to reach people by our personal witness, by our praying, and by our giving? I believe that we, I know for me, there's more I can do. I need to be intentional about it. I need to, to monitor my lifestyle more closely. I recognize that. And, and I believe that as I do, I can see so much more happen. I mean, guys, we can see so many people come to Christ through our praying, through our going, being prayerful but also being intentional. Lord, send people into my pathway. Send people that I can share the gospel with them. God, set up divine appointments. Start praying that every day. Divine appointments. Divine appointments. God, strategic partnerships. Opportunities. I want to give. I want to go. Maybe God's speaking to you about going. He's been speaking to you for a long time about going. But you've just tried to rationalize it and say, well, I can't. I need to wait for this, this, and this to happen. Let me tell you what. All your ducks will never line up. That's the, the truth, guys. If God's speaking to you, be obedient, and he'll help get things worked out in your life. Do what he's called you to do. He'll take care of you. He'll, he'll bless you when you do what he's called you to do. We live in an amazing time. $42 trillion is what Christians have to give toward missions, the church, everything. $700 billion is all that's released. The average Christian gives less than 2%. There's so much more that we can do. So much more that we can do. I know this, you know, and I'll close with this. I'll just get a little bit technical for a moment. There's this, in missions, there has been something um, that really has been a response to um, an appropriate reaction, really, to spoon feeding. You know what I mean? Well, the churches just depend on the Western nations or the wealthier nations to support them. And I get that. I understand that. We, we say that. But do we not realize this morning that when we say to people, I'll pray for you, that it's not enough? Now, I realize that we may not necessarily be able to give to every person, and we need to be led by God. But if we just, we just pray, but we don't give, it's not enough. Because God has entrusted to us gifts. He's entrusted to us resources. And he expects us to use that by just saying, I am going to pray for you that God provides your financial need. You know, we're passing the buck, literally. <laughs> and we are in not the right direction. We are not doing what is honoring to God. You know, the book of James. You see someone in need. And you say, God bless you. Be warm. Go in peace. Right? He says, that's hypocrisy. It's not true Christianity. Love, not just in word, but in deed, in actions. We have to do it. And if the world would see a church that would do more than they pray, well, okay, I know some people have a problem with that. Are you saying not to pray? I'm not saying not to pray. I'm saying don't use it as an excuse. Go, give, pray, of course. Most of us need to pray more. But I believe even when we pray more, we'd be more burdened. But there's so many people that desperately need Jesus. So there's this whole thing, what is called the three selves. And the three selves essentially are this, that 
There is churches need to become self-supporting, self-propagating, and self-governing. We talk about that. This is the goal. You know, this is this is something. But the reality is, in some places in the world, the church will never become self-supporting. I know in some places where we have churches, if every person gave 20% of their income, they would still not have enough money to even pay the bills. That's not a pastor supporting a pastor. That's just paying the bills. Because they make... Our average offering in the Philippines is $30 a week. And that's pretty good when you recognize, and we're discipling people to give more. There's a, listen to this. A scholar by the name of Isaac Mawasi from Zimbabwe said this. Unless the economies of poverty in the global south change dramatically in the future, Christian solidarity would seem to demand external support. What is needed is not self-sufficiency among the poor, but a way of partnering across cultural and economic differences that affirms Christian solidarity, the interdependency of the body of Christ. A place where we say, hey, it's not about them becoming self-sufficient because for some of them it's just not going to happen. But it's our way of partnering. It's our way of being able to say we're here You do your part, you teach, you preach, you do the discipleship, you do whatever is needed, but we're going to come alongside you and help you in the areas that you lack. And this is a biblical principle that koinonia, the word koinonia actually means to share what one has abundance, to share what one has a lack. And it's something that is to be reciprocated mutually. So when you go on a mission trip, for example, and we say this, we say, well, I probably received more blessing than I imparted, I gave. How many know what I'm talking about? But the fact is, when we go, we go with a sense of I'm going to serve, I'm going to give, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to receive. I'm going to receive from you. I mean, I love to sit down and and just talk to our pastors, which I do typically with a few of them every week, and I say, what do you need? What is your greatest challenge? How can we pray? What is it? And I will say, leadership development is a big part of it. Finance, unfortunately, is a big part of it. And we have to pray, but we have to give. We have to be willing to go. We can all pray passionately. We can all participate personally. We can all partner provisionally. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. If you're already doing that, awesome. Maybe the Lord wants you to take it to another level. I know he's challenging me to do that. And we're going to just pray and and close our service out now. And as we do, guys, I just want to give you an opportunity, the worship team, if you'd come, to respond to the Lord this morning. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 